Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 142 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover Radio Show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, we're, we just recorded the BGN draft pod, so I'm always. Uh, it's. I feel like you know. I'm. I'm so in draft mood. I said this last week, so I'm having deja vu. But you know, it, it feels like these games right now are just to determine you know the draft order. Nothing else. Like they they play for a Lombardi Trophy, but really it's to determine like 31 and 32. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's exactly it. Uh, although I must say. I thoroughly enjoyed both of the games last weekend. There were some really yeah. interesting football games. So we're going to talk about them. We're going to break down both of the conference championship games. We're not going to preview the Super Bowl yet. We can do that next week. Uh, just a little peek behind the curtain, having some tremendous technical difficulties. That's why we're starting this one so late tonight. Uh, hopefully those stay uh, at bay and this show c- turns out well. You guys are able to hear us and see us and all of that, but uh, we're going to dive right in uh, a shorter show tonight with only two games to talk about, but let's start with uh, the AFC championship game where the Kansas city chiefs beat the Baltimore Ravens 17 to 10. And Mark, the, the biggest thing I see, we could talk about the inevitability of Patrick Mahomes, but I think the better place to start is with Steve Spagnolo, who deserves his flowers after this game. Like, for a large part of the game, the Chiefs' offense was wholly ineffective. Yeah, you know, they scored their first two drives, and you thought it was going to be a shootout. But after that, after their first two drives, they averaged seventeen and a half yards per possession, and they only scored three more points. Uh, the, the Chiefs blitzed twenty times, and they limited the Ravens to a thirty-five percent success rate on those plays. They had an average time to pressure of 1.84 seconds. Uh, I thought they did a tremendous job against this Ravens offense, which I thought did a pretty poor job of planning against them. But uh, I thought Steve Spagnuolo was the X factor in this game. Yeah. And Steve Spagnuolo had a quote. Um, I, I, I guess it's not Super Bowl media day yet, but I guess it's just they're, they're doing press conferences in Kansas city. And he's talking about just, how he's never been around a defense like this which is with as much talent on it and as much uh you know football IQ uh, as this team has and you know you look through the defense and a big thing that I've been doing lately is I've been uh going on PFF's roster pages cuz we've been doing these draft things so I'm looking at team needs and looking at where guys graded out this year so I've been looking at the these PFF roster pages and you go on Kansas City and it's just there's so many guys who graded out so well all over their defense. Like you have Chris Jones, who was the number six defensive tackle in, in all of the NFL. George Karloff, this didn't grade out as well as he, as the stats will tell you. He had, I mean, 11, 12 sacks, wherever that number was. You, you have five linebackers who graded out well and Leo Chanel and Drew Tranquil and Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. You have, uh, you know, Chamari Connor who graded out as the number 11 safety. You have Trent McDuffie who graded out as the number four corner. Legereus Sneed graded out as the number 28 corner. I feel like he's more of like a top five to 10 corner in, in football. Two more corners are graded out in the top 42 among 127. Like they have four corners who graded out in the top 42. Like that's like the top, 
third of the league. They, they had four corners grayed out that way. Safeties, linebackers, defensive tackles, defensive edge. It's just they have talent at every level of the defense. And I think it goes back to all year people cried and complained about the Chiefs maybe not having great receivers. And people said that it was malpractice, but they did to Mahomes. It's unfair. It was a coordinated effort. What they did was they spent all their resources the last couple of years with the draft and with money on defensive players and offensive linemen. And they said, you know what? Mahomes will figure out the rest. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. And Mahomes did figure out the rest, uh, particularly with Travis Kelsey, who had 88 total yards in the last three games of the season. In the playoffs, he has 71, 75 with two touchdowns and 116 yards for a touchdown. So Kelsey is coming on at the right time. Like his catch against Kyle Hamilton to cap the first drive is just a, I mean, what do you do? It's a perfect throw. It's perfect coverage. It's the perfect catch. Uh, there's just, there's literally no better defense for that situation. Kyle Hamilton did everything that he should do in that situation. And it's just a touchdown anyways. And that's got to be really frustrating. Um, but that's not the most frustrating thing to me. If you're a Ravens fan, uh, the most frustrating thing to me is the game plan that you came in with, uh, the Ravens called six running back runs in this game against the number 27 DVOA rushing defense a week after the bills ran for 182 yards and two touchdowns on them. And this isn't like a, well, the run just wasn't working. They had a 50% rushing success rate on those runs. You don't want to live in a passing world against Spags pressure looks and Todd Munkin time and time again, put them in that world despite having a really favorable rushing matchup. Like they could have played the strength of their offense against the chiefs weakness. They were in a game script to do it. And instead they chose to play into the strength of the chiefs defense. And I just thought it was egregious. Like I, I do not understand why that was the initial approach. And I certainly don't understand why they never adjusted uh, as the offense struggled. Yeah, Todd Munkin, uh, not necessarily the greatest game for Todd Munkin. And, you know, he, he did not get a head coaching job, didn't get as many interviews as maybe we even expected. And honestly, I think he's the guy who the Eagles would have picked if they would have fired Nick Sirianni um, with it, with our ties to Harbaugh, with the ties to Georgia. Um, so I, it'll be it, – it's a shame. And, you know, now Baltimore's in one of those situations where it's like, what do we do? To, to get kind of to get excited for next year and say, this is what's going to make the difference next year. Um, felt like this was the year for them. So uh, it's not like they have too many guys that I think are expiring. A lot of them are on defense. They'll probably keep some of them, let some walk. Um, uh, to me, uh, it sounds like a broken record, but I, I think this a, a lot of everyone's pointing out some of these plays where Lamar didn't know what the defense was throwing at him. And Spags basically came out and said that they were showing things that they showing things pre-snap to make Lamar check out of runs and to make Lamar throw as much as possible. Now, I think a lot of people are going, going to read that and they're going to take it as, Oh, you have to beat Lamar by making him throw. And that's partially true. But the reason that I think that that's partially true is that I still don't think he has enough weapons. I still don't think, you know, we 
people are going to hear that and roll their eyes and they're going to say, oh, how many weapons does he need? My, They'll say, oh, these are the best weapons he's had. My response to that would be they might be the best weapons he had, but if you look at the NFL, they're at the bottom half of the league in weapons on the outside. Maybe they have two good tight ends. They don't have a real difference maker at the running back position. They don't have, you know, Zay Flowers, I don't think he finished in the top 30 in fantasy receivers this year. I know fantasy football isn't real football, but that's stats. That's just – I just still think when it comes down to, you know, the, the toughest of the tough times in the playoffs against the best of the best teams, you need those difference makers on the outside and you need those difference makers unless you have Patrick Mahomes. Um, and I think that, you know, people are going to blame Lamar and he doesn't have the excuse this time as much as he's had in the past. But I, I think people still don't realize that they're still pretty lackluster in that department. Yeah, I agree. And as you were talking, that's what I was thinking. Uh, you need you need those guys unless you got Patrick Mahomes, and that's kind of the trump card. And and the Ravens, they just they shot themselves in the foot. They had stupid mistakes all game. Um, Kansas City was happy to take it to half, fourteen to seven, until a Kyle Van Noy fifteen yard penalty caused them to go get in field goal range and kick a field goal. And then, you know, Zay flowers fumbles diving for the end zone. Uh, you take it. Lamar took a sack out of field goal range on a situation where they probably should have been running anyways. Uh, they had the Lamar had the interception in the end zone. Uh, it, it was just mistake after mistake after mistake and none bigger, no better encapsulation than Zay flowers taunting into a fumble into injuring his hand, hitting the bench. Like that's just a rough five minute stretch for a rookie. Um, and, you know, not to just put it all on Zay flowers, justice Hill was especially bad in pass protection. He had seven pass block reps and he gave up two pressures and a sack, uh, including the sack that knocked the Ravens out of field goal range. I mean, Mark at halftime, Lamar was the Ravens leading rusher and their second leading receiver. It's just insane. Uh, by the way, that, that pass that got tipped, that he then caught like people don't understand how close he was to throwing himself like a 60 yard touchdown pass there. Uh, because the guy that brought him down was pretty much the only guy that had a shot, uh, tremendously athletic play. I didn't think Lamar played well in this game, but again, it was just, it was a total failure by the offense The the defense did their job on both squads. I thought both offenses were, were kind of a letdown. Yeah, Lamar had two plays in this game that are just unlike anything you'll ever see. That the tip pass to himself, and then also the touchdown um, where he he broke away from that sack. But for the most part, he was bad in this game, and, and it felt like he was just a step slow on getting outside the pocket to run every time. Felt like every time that he ran, if you go and watch it, if you would have made that decision to run just a second or two earlier, then it would have made a difference in the play. But instead. He was running for three, four yards at a time um, and wasn't able to break them. So, yeah, I, I think that Lamar didn't play a great game. But like I said, I think that a lot of it had to do with the game plan. I think a lot of it has to do with the way that the team was built. Um, and, yeah, I, I just – man, it, it stinks that Lamar gets to an AFC championship, wins another MVP, and we're right back to square one um, in, in a lot of ways with the way that he's going to be discussed publicly. It's, it's a shame. It is, yeah. Also, uh, we'd be remiss without mentioning Kyle Hamilton. Um, Kyle Hamilton is just, he's so good. But if you're a draft, 
person out there and you had takes on Kyle Hamilton, please refrain from from talking about those takes um, because they may make others feel uh, inadequate. They may make others uh, get upset on Twitter uh, because they liked the Jordan Davis pick and anyone who ever says anything negative about anyone's baby boy, Jordan Davis is an enemy of the state. So uh, yeah, that's, that's my take on Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> it's a good take. It's a good take. If you don't know what Mark's referring to, you can go check my Twitter timeline uh, and, and I'll leave it there, but. All right, so that does get us. The AFC representative will once again be the Chiefs. Uh, man, I feel for all these AFC quarterbacks that are so good. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, uh, Lamar. It just feels like they're destined to just be second fiddle to to Mahomes for eternity. Like it, It's crazy that the NFL is designed for parity, and we chased a Patriots dynasty directly into a Chiefs dynasty. Um it's kind of wild. It's always the AFC, by the way. The NFC, the NFC has parity. We don't have any of these issues over in the NFC. But uh, so let's jump over to the NFC real, real quick. Before I just want to say to touch on your point about Josh Allen, and it's something I wanted to say but totally forgot. These times where you see Lamar come up small like this, and you've seen other guys come up small, it does make you appreciate Josh Allen a, a little bit more. Uh, to be like, man. He he plays so damn well in these games and comes so close and can't get over the top. Um, I, I definitely had some thoughts watching the Lamar game where I'm like, we kind of compare Josh Allen and Lamar a lot sometimes where we say who's the better quarterback. I think at times in their career that, that answer's changed. I love Lamar as much as anybody. Uh, I think Josh Allen's a better quarterback. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if I... I would pretty easily right now go Mahomes, Allen, then Lamar as the top three. Yeah, I agree. But we're going to talk a little bit of QB rankings with this next game because I want to get your thoughts on it. But let's go to the NFC title game uh, where the Detroit Lions uh, lose this game to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, Man, this one stings if you're a Lions fan. Because you got the exact game script you wanted. You were dominating the game on the ground. You had a huge lead up 17 at half. And then you gave up 27 unanswered points in the second half and just an unbelievable meltdown. Uh, I want to start where a lot of the discourse has been. I want to get your thoughts on Dan Campbell's fourth down decisions. Because I pretty well agreed with all of them, except for maybe the last one. So right before halftime, they're up 21 to seven. Uh, they kick the field goal to go up 17 and a half. Uh, that's a razor thin margin uh, in terms of the analytics, what it would tell you to do. I personally like the decision to go for it or excuse me, to kick the field goal there because you've dominated this game in San Francisco. I really liked that. Let's let's end the half positive and take a three score lead to half versus giving San Francisco a chance to hold you out of the end zone and, and gain that momentum back going into half. So I liked that one personally. What was your thoughts on kicking before halftime? That was the right call. Um, I, I think people also forget that part of the advantage of going for it, especially when you're close um, within the like the five yard line or within first and goal or fourth and goal. Um, is that you're pinning them deep if you don't get it. That doesn't exist at the end of the half. So uh, even more reason to, to take the field goal. That was the right move. 
All right, so then we go to a fourth and two with seven minutes left in the third quarter at the 28-yard line. I liked that one too. I mean, the ball hit Josh Reynolds in the hands. Catch football. It's a first down. I, I liked the aggression there as well. Um, yes, you could have kicked the field goal to go back up 17 with seven minutes left in the third, but I personally didn't have a problem with going for that one. It's, I thought it was the call I would have made as well. I would have taken the field goal there, but it, I'm I'm not passionate about it. I think it was close to a 50-50 call. Um, I would have chose to go up three possessions um, that late in the game, but I'm not. I didn't criticize them really in real time. Okay, and then the last one. The last one's the one I maybe don't like. It's fourth and three, with seven thirty left. You're down three. Now. He's on the right side of the analytics slightly. It's a toss-up call. It's real close according to most models. Personally, I would take the points to tie it, especially against a coach like Shanahan that is a coward. Like, If you give him the opportunity, he will absolutely punt or take a field goal if given the opportunity. But if you go for it, you go score a touchdown, you're forcing him to be aggressive. Um, now that said, I understand their kicker is really bad. Uh they were the Lions were converting 75% of fourth and three or less this season. Their kicker is 45% on his career from 48 plus yards. And so that plays into it. It's not the kicker they came into the year with, blah, blah, blah. So I understand why he went for it there. I think in an ideal situation, I would kick that. Um, maybe with their kicker, maybe that's just a knowing your personnel thing. Regardless, they go for it and they got cool, they got fooled on what was a terrific uh, zone coverage call that looked like man. Uh, they sent the linebacker out with a motion guy, which typically indicates man coverage. So they called mesh, but it was actually zone. And they just had their linebacker. I think it was Dre Greenlaw out playing where a corner would normally play. And there was just nothing there. Um, so I, I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on kicking versus going there and how that all played out? I would have went for it. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people killing that, but I, I think that, you know, Choosing to tie the game with seven minutes left was asking to not see the ball again. Um, so I I know people are going to kill him for it, and I'm not the biggest Dan Campbell guy, to be honest. So if there was a decision to second guess, then I, I could sit here and make fun of it and say that's the reason they lost. I'd love to do that, but I don't think that's the case. Um, I, I think that they, it was the right move to try to be aggressive and to try to force San Fran to be in a position where that they would uh, – they would have to score a touchdown to, to win the game. But the the problem that I had was using the timeout that he did with, with a minute yep. and however long that was left, a minute and five, minute and ten, where however long that was left. Yeah, the horrific game management decision is calling a run play on third and goal from the one with a minute five oh. left. Then you have to burn a timeout that makes it impossible to get the ball back if you don't get an onside kick. Now, again, I've said – Madden players should be in a coach's ear during football games because a Madden player would have got in field goal range and kicked the field goal with two minutes left. Yep. I was saying that live too. I was mm -hmm. saying they should just take the field goal. Yeah. Uh, which that's, that's a pretty well fleshed out model that you should do. You get in field goal range, which again, their kicker's not good. So maybe that plays into it. You take the field goal and then you've got a chance to kick it deep and try to get a three and out. Um, all of that said though, it's worth noting that the Jameer Gibbs fumble and the Brandon Ayuk reception off of a guy's face mask 
both had greater EPA losses than any of the turnover on downs. So execution issues were a much bigger issue than any sort of game management decisions, which I generally agreed with. So um, that's a lot about the Lions. Let's talk about the 49ers, uh, where Brett Purdy played a really good game. I mean, yeah, I know he threw an interception that the arm got hit, and he should have thrown another one that went off the face mask, but he created out of structure multiple times in this game, and that's the improbability uh, that he brings to the table that Jimmy G just never had. Uh, He generated 10.6 EPA on scrambles, and he picked up six total first downs, three scrambling uh, and three getting out of the pocket and then passing. Uh, So uh, I thought he played really well. It's hard to have a conversation about Brock Purdy because people will either say he should be MVP or he stinks and is carried by playmakers and a coach. But there's a middle ground that I honestly think he falls into, and that is good NFL quarterback. So here's my question to you. like, How would you rank him? And we're not going to do a whole QB ranking show, but guys that are definitely above him. You've got Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, not in any particular order here. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Hurts, Herbert, Lamar, uh, Lawrence, Dak, Kyler, Stafford, Stroud, Love. Cousins is over him. I would probably put Goff over him too. So, like, is there anybody I'm not thinking of? I I have a name that you're not going to like. He led the league in passing this year. If Tua was on the Niners, I think they're they're in the same spot. I think Tua is better than Purdy. I I think I would. I think Tua and Purdy are similar. Like, but yeah. yeah so fair. either either way. So like roughly 15th best. I mean, I think that's a realistic and totally fine place to put him. I think if you're putting him, if you're saying he's the MVP, I don't think you want to have an onbus conversation about what the film says. But if you also want to say he stink and stinks and is carried by playmakers, I just don't think that's accurate either. So so here's where I guess the conversation gets muddy. You said golf, right? Was golf the, the one one of the names? Yeah, prob- I said probably golf, like, I don't, that one's tough for me, but somewhere. So then realistically, the conversation becomes, do I think Baker Mayfield will be doing what Brock Purdy's doing in San Fran? Probably roughly mm-hmm. close to it. If I had to guess, do I think Derek Carr would be probably not probably, probably a, a, pit, a touch below that. Do I think Geno Smith would be? Yeah. Geno is another probably. name I thought of. Um, Justin Fields is you can't you have to say he's better than Fields for now, but Fields is like an interesting could be Kyle Shanahan this. would hate Justin Fields being yeah, his quarterback yeah. for sure, but yeah, yeah. Um, Gardner Minshew, like, <laughs> is an inch if Gardner Minshew was on the 49ers, I'm just telling you, he he would, I think he'd be doing like 90 to 95 percent of what Brock Purdy's doing. So that Gardner Minshew is a pro bowler now. Yeah. Yeah. There he is. Him and Jalen hurts getting in on the alternates. (laughs) No, but I, that's the problem with the Purdy stuff. Like I ultimately think if Sam Darnold was in there, they'd probably still be in the super bowl. That's that might be a hot take, but um, that's where it becomes a problem. But yeah, I, I, it's tough. The the Purdy conversation is tough. And I, I, I'm, he's definitely a starter. Like he's absolutely a guy but would would San Fran be better off paying him or would they be better off like 
you know, looking elsewhere. That's not a decision they'll have to make until after next year, but it's, it's going to be an interesting one. That's going to be one of the more interesting quarterback contract conversations of all time. Yes. I, I am very, int- it's two years though, right? Cause he's got a, he should have two years left on his deal. So this, she should be in the second year, right? But don't you usually have to make the decision before, uh, after the third year? Well, I'm thinking QB option. That's with a fifth year, but I, yeah, they probably will want to, I don't, you, you do usually lock these guys up early. Mm-hmm. Like the quarterback thing is weird. You usually don't see guys playing on a one year deal playing their final year out. Right. It's going to be weird. really interesting. So he's, yeah, he's got two years left on the contract. I don't know. Also like, I mean, if somebody's going to offer you $50 million as a free agent, I, it, that'd be really hard to walk away from. But also like if you're Brock Purdy and maybe that's not on the table, would you take 25 to stay with Shanahan and keep your playmakers <laughs> yeah. versus taking 30 or 35 to go somewhere else? Cause like, it's like, I know I can go to super bowls with Shanahan. Uh, I don't know. That's not how those guys think, but it, I I'm really fascinated to watch that play out over the next year or two, for sure. Did you hear what Shanahan told him before the season? No, he told him you're the, you're the quarterback of the 49ers dot, 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 unless Tom Brady comes out of retirement. (laughs) That's insane. That Shanahan just like straight up told Brock Purdy that like, that's, that's just hilarious. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. So we'll see how it works out. Uh, obviously, we're getting a rematch of a 2020 Super Bowl. That's uh, where our episode title, Super Bowl Party Like It's 2020, comes from. Uh, and it didn't work out with Jimmy G, and he missed some big throws in that game. And we'll see, we'll see how it works out for Brock and the 49ers. Their rushing attack was phenomenal in the second half. Uh, it had a 62% rushing success rate. The offense did anything they wanted. Uh, Debo Samuel was a force. Uh, he missed or he forced six missed tackles as a receiver with 7.8 yards after the catch per reception. He forced two missed tackles as a runner with 4.33 yards after contact per attempt. Christian McCaffrey averaged three and a quarter yards after contact per attempt. And on total, the Lions missed 16 tackles. So if you want to lose a game, drop the ball on fourth down fumble it on the first play after giving up a touchdown, miss 16 tackles. That's about as good a blueprint as any. And uh, I do really feel for lions fans, um, but I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they are not as down as I think they would be. Cause they did at least get the playoff monkey off their back. They won back-to-back playoff games for the first time in 60 years. So uh, I, I don't think they probably still feel great about this one though. The one thing, yeah, I mean, the Lions fans being up 17 points at halftime, all that stuff, you're probably booking flights to Vegas at halftime, booking hotel rooms. Like, man, I, I, that's Lions fans have a uh, special way of feeling pain. And, you know, it, it's. Is it, 24 to 7 going to become the new 28 to 3? Man, it, it, I, I don't think it'll be. At, well, I think the Niners are going to lose the Super Bowl. Spoiler alert! So I don't think it's going to get mem- remembered as much as it should. But man, I felt like it was a done deal at that point. As someone who had bets on the Niners to to get there, 
uh, I I felt like that game was over at, at halftime, and I'm sure that Lions fans did as well. The one thing I want to talk about, because I feel like there's a lot of 2020 Super Bowl talk going around naturally. Um, same team, same coaches. Mahomes is on one side again. The difference is I don't think people realize that Christian McCaffrey wasn't on that team. Like having Christian McCaffrey is a pretty massive difference. Also, Brandon Ayuk was not drafted yet on that team. Um, so uh, this is like Jimmy G took a far different 49ers offense than what Brock Purdy is doing. Like that offense was given Tevin Coleman carries and they were Kendrick Bourne was the leading receiver in that Super Bowl. Um, I, I think that it's a little. I, I lost Shane's audio there just a little bit, but I, I think he's laughing about Kendrick Bourne being the being the leading receiver in that Super Bowl, which is, yeah, I, I think it says a lot about how far the Niners kind of personnel has come. And you can make the argument that the Chiefs defense is, is the same thing. That, that Chiefs defense was nowhere near as good as, as, this, as how good this Chiefs defense has been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask if you knew who the leading receiver was, but you already said it. So do you know who the number two receiver was in that game? Hmm. It, it, it was not Debo or Kittle. It was not Debo or Kittle. I want to say like Tevin Coleman. Like, I, I'm, Was it Emmanuel Sanders? It was Kyle Juszczyk. Okay. All right. Had 39 yards and a touchdown. I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thinking fullback. Yeah, Raheem most Raheem Mostert was the leading rusher and Debo was right behind him. Yeah, that was kind of like the the genesis of Debo being used as a as a runner that year. Um yeah, San Fran is so good. Uh, when you look at just every level especially of their offense, they just have so many pieces. But man, you don't you don't tug on Superman's cape and you don't pick against Patrick Mahomes when he has a plus sign next to him. So it's a fun one. Uh, you can't ask for much better than this. And this is kind of, everyone was like, oh, everyone's got to root against the 49ers and the Chiefs. Like, we all hate the 49ers and the Chiefs. And it's like, I'm just telling you guys, I get it. Like, uh, are they the most likable teams? Maybe not. Ravens, Lions, Ravens beat them 38 to six this year. Like, this is a great matchup just in terms of like, I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, same. And we will be back next week to preview that game. Uh, and we'll see if we can come up with some other things. We'll have a positional ranking show for interior defensive linemen also coming out later this week on this feed. So you guys can stay tuned for that. Uh, for now, thank you guys for joining us for episode 142 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating wherever you stream your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. And we will catch you guys next week to preview the Super Bowl.